G'day, Brett. G'day, Julian. How are you going? Mate, I'm, I'm really well. Okay. They lost to Wales out in the group stage. Did you, along with many others, assume that Eddie would not see out his contract? I I wondered. I, 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 did, I did wonder. Um, I was always reasonably sure that Rugby Australia wouldn't sack him because... You know, sacking a coach four year, one year into a five-year contract just doesn't make economic sense. However, you want to measure it. Um, never mind for for a uh, for an organisation that's uh, always had to operate on the smell of an oily rag as, as Rugby yeah. Australia does. So, I was always reasonably sure that wouldn't be the case. Um, it would just be a matter of um, how else it might happen and, and how else it might happen very quickly turned out to be this um, uh, this secret interview with Japan and um, you know there's far too much reporting and, and far too many verified reports to have to have come out now from a various from various different sources in Australia and around the world that point to it being being the case and his denials from the outset were flimsy I always thought um, and there was just way too much smoke to to the mm. stories uh, for for it not to be true so um you know even as recently as as last week late last week in fact he, he did that interview with peter fitzsimons in the city morning herald and even in that he basically confirmed it happened because he said everyone has conversations about jobs yeah and i thought that's a really weird thing to say for someone who's trying to deny that he didn't have a job interview so um, yeah, it, it was always going to be a case of, you know, how could it happen? And then when the reports did emerge on Friday that uh, his representatives had, had contacted RA and expressed a, a willingness to work towards a, a mutual parting of the ways, that was basically the the, 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 the wheels. Yeah. Not just in motion, the deal was probably done by that point. So it was always going to be a mutual thing. I didn't quite think it would happen quite so quickly. And if I'm completely honest, I'm actually a little bit disappointed that it did happen and did break yesterday because the rugby world really should have been focusing on what was an absolutely incredible final. And the last weekend of the tournament was just the perfect way to wrap up what has been a really enjoyable tournament. And so now here we are again in Australia, not focusing on, on what should have been a, mm. a really big thing, but we're looking within ourselves to you know, find news, what new ways of shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, South Africa got their fourth, New Zealand aiming for their fourth, seven World Cups between them, Australia's last World Cup triumph, 1999. And I think, you know, by and large, uh, rugby fans in this country are looking, say, well, we should be as competitive or on par with these teams as we used to be, Brett, 20 years ago, and they're not, which probably just fuels the, the fires of discontentment at the boat because, or discontent. That is off the back of that reporting about the Japan job, got so many noses out of joint, and this whole, oh, I'm committed, mate, I'm committed, mate. I'm he kept repeating that statement, I'm committed to Australian rugby, mate. But then there might be a little caveat if they'll still have me. And this is the thing, I was okay with the appointment. I was willing to go along with him if he thought that maybe we're going to invest in a young team, leave your hoopers and your coopers at home, short-term pain for long-term game, okay, we may not make it out of the group stage, but it will benefit us over the next World Cup cycle. Okay, don't necessarily agree with it, but I'll go with it. But the fact that he's now saying, okay, we're out, see you later, guys. Uh, I'm gone, I'm done, I'm finished, because I didn't get the stuff I wanted. So Eddie should have known what was possible and what was not possible. But further to that too, Brett, I mean, Hamish McLennan, I mean, how culpable is he in all of this? He was the bloke that staked his reputation on the Jones signing. He was Hamish's man. You know, he was the one that said, no, I want Eddie. He got Eddie. And what does he say at the end of it? 
Oh, Hamish, your thoughts? Oh, another Aussie coach goes overseas. Well, why, Hamish? Why has another coach go, uh, gone overseas? What did you do or what did you not do to keep Eddie Jones? Uh, he's, he's entirely culpable for it, Julian. There's no, there's no other way to put it. He um, started courting Eddie Jones in June last year in Sydney when England were here for that three-test series with, with, um, uh, with Australia. And, you know, England winning that series uh, probably made him think at the time that, you know, bringing Eddie Jones back home to Australia isn't going to happen anytime soon. What then did happen is that things rapidly went downhill for him to close out the end of the year, and, of course, the RFU sacked him. And, and the RFU not putting him on gardening leave all of a sudden lit a bit of a fire for Hamish McLennan. He thought, well, hang on, I've got a bit of rapport with this guy. He's the one I think who can do a job for us in the future. Why don't we actually start looking for him now? And that happened way too quick. Um, and Dave Rennie was moved on and, you know, McLennan was there front and centre with Eddie Jones on, on day one saying whatever Eddie wants, is he'll, he'll get yeah. in terms of what's needed to turn the, to the Wallabies fortunes around. So he absolutely staked everything on uh, on Eddie Jones. And so the questions are rightly being asked about Hamish McLennan because this was the the biggest of all captain's picks, wasn't it? And it has gone disastrously from from all fronts. And and you're right, it now looks like a swag of promises were made to Eddie Jones. None of them have really come to fruition yet. And so, I mean, it's actually quite extraordinary that there was even exit clauses put in around that because it was actually a pretty ambitious time frame, like 12 months, not even 12 months, Mm. to to try and put around that sort of thing, around things like centralisations and, and, you know, uh, reform of the way Rugby Australia is governed, govern, none, none of that's going to happen in 12 months. So, um, you know, it, it all seems very convenient to me. Hamish McLennan has given Christy Doran on the Roar an interview that's gone out today, in fact, that in which case he's, in which he's still trumpeting of the fact that, you know, Eddie's not the problem here. This has been a pro- an issue for, for 20 years, but that's overlooking the fact that McLennan himself has been the Rugby Australia chairman for the last three and a half years. So he's as much a part of the problem as every chairman before him for the last two decades. He's had three and a half years to try and start turning things around. It's only now that he's got his guy in the chair and in, in, the, in, the, office, uh, in the office next to him that, he's, that suddenly he's trying to say, well, hang on a minute, I've been trying to fix the problem. Well, I don't know that you have, yeah. mate. And so I, I don't at all blame... Yeah, Queensland and and the ACT and and to an extent and to my understanding the Western Force for being a little bit reticent to be completely on board with this uh, this whole centralisation project at the moment because I think the states are well within their rights to be asking right this important time who is Rugby Australia to ask how we are running ourselves as business as, as a business when they're not able to get something like private equity over the line and they're having to take out more debt in order to keep the game functioning and so. I think there's huge questions to be asked of Hamish McLennan, um, and and it's going to take a strong board to do that. But the game, arguably more than ever, needs those hard questions from that strong board to be asked. Yeah, who's going to ask them though? That's the thing, you know. In any other walk of life, yeah. that degree of, of culpability, you know, making promises you can't keep. I mean, he should fall on his sword if he had any honour. Honestly, Hamish McLennan, uh, he's not the yeah. sort of guy that, well, that part, would. Part of, the, part of the issue has been there. Sorry, Julian. Part of the issue has been there that he's been such a public-facing chairman. And you've only got to look at the the previous couple of uh, chairs in, in that role, and they weren't 
nearly as active. Uh, they they let the chief executive officer be the CEO of the organisation. Yeah. So, you know, Andy Marinos came into the role last year, and um, you know, after Rob Clark did a very a very good job as an interim leader, but that was always short term. Andy Marinos came into the role and was hamstrung almost from the start, and we really never heard much from from Andy Marinos. We heard more from Phil War in the last couple of months than we did. From, from Andy Marinos, who is a very capable administrator. Uh, and I've spoken to him a number of times, and he certainly knows what he's talking about. He knows the game of rugby very well, but he never really had the chance to put his shape on how Rugby Australia should be run as, as a CEO should. And, and and again, that's something that, um, that, that McLennan ultimately needs to uh, be held for. Mate, we could talk all day about this uh, sad and sorry affair, but I've got to get to another break. But look, the final, of course, 12-11, another one-point victory mm. for South Africa. I mean, they know how to win these things, don't they? I, I thought they were gallant the All Blacks, and it's a shame that, that Sam Kane got the red card because it you know it didn't quite put a pin in the result, and they came desperately close. But a couple of questionable decisions, but at the end of the day, I think probably the best team won. Yeah, oh, they, they definitely did. South Africa, even even to the very end, um, South Africa still felt like they had the game in hand, and it was a remarkable performance from New Zealand to get as close as they could and as, and as deep as they did in that game, being a man down for the best part of an hour. Um, that was an extraordinary effort, but they also had opportunities that they couldn't convert, and they, and they just made a few crucial errors in the in the wrong time. But South Africa were um, were it was it was just about the perfect tournament rugby that they played over the last month, particularly through the the knockout stage. And um, yeah, an, an incredible effort. Um, they've chopped and changed their team, their bench alignments. They've played. They've, they've picked teams to suit the opposition, um, arguably better than any other team in this tournament. And, yeah, completely deserving World Cup champions. And, um, yeah, the uh, the Rassi Erasmus, Jacques Nineveh um, combination lives on and will go down in folklore in South African rugby, I've got no doubt. Good on you, Brett. Thank you so much for your time on the program today. And we'll catch all your work on theraw.com.au. Good on you. Thanks, Julian. There is Brett McKay from The Raw chatting all things rugby.